This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range four-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked center-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King prawn cocktail and oak and peat cold smoked salmon are just six euro. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher abuse to next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. New York City is made up of five boroughs. One of those boroughs is Brooklyn. New York City was a major immigration center as far back as the 1600s, when the city was called New Amsterdam. The Dutch named the area after a town in the Netherlands called Brukellen. After Americans won their independence from Great Britain, the area began growing after a ferry service made it easy to commute from Brooklyn to Wall Street. This commute was made even easier after the Brooklyn Bridge was opened in 1883. Today, Brooklyn is known as a hub for entrepreneurship and postmodern art. In 1995, Kim Antonakis was living the life of a 20-year-old in Brooklyn working part-time while going to college and going out with her friends at night. When she didn't return home from a night out of salsa dancing, her friends and family knew that something was wrong. They knew someone had done something horrible to Kim. They just didn't know how close to home that someone would be. This is Monsters. Kimberly Antonakis was born on March 4, 1974, in Brooklyn, New York, to Thomas and Marlene Antonakis and was their only child. Her parents divorced when she was only a baby, but Kim grew up to be a daddy's girl. Even as an adult, she would talk to her father on the phone daily. Thomas, who went by Tommy, ran a successful computer business and also invested in real estate and in fire insurance. Tommy was pretty rich, and people say that Kim was kind of spoiled, but she was still extremely down-to-earth. By the time Kim was 20 years old, she was studying business at the College of Staten Island and was ready to move out on her own. Tommy was apprehensive to let his only child leave the coop, but he finally agreed and got her an apartment in Brooklyn and also a new Honda Accord. 
He rented a garage right across the street from the apartment so she wouldn't have to hunt for a spot and then walk home in the dark. As another safety precaution, Tommy also got her a pager so she wouldn't have to give her personal phone number to guys. This was in 1995, when cell phones were pretty uncommon. After Kim moved into her apartment, her friend, April Deedley, was having issues with her apartment and needed to have the floors redone. April was a paralegal who had a two-year-old son with her boyfriend, Josh Torres, and needed a place to stay. Being one of Kim's closest friends, she offered the young family her extra bedroom. They took Kim up on her generosity and began staying at her apartment. April worked while Josh stayed at home taking care of their son. April and her family had been staying with her for two weeks when Kim made plans to go out dancing on the night of February 28, 1995. Earlier that day, Kim had gone to her morning business administration class before heading to her job at Amelia Interiors where she did bookkeeping. Though Tommy spoiled his daughter, he wanted her to learn some responsibility, so she had to work part-time to pay for a small portion of the rent. After work, Kim went to the house of her friend Liz Pace, where the two spent hours doing their nails and getting ready for the night. They arrived at the club that was hosting salsa dancing at about 1.30 the morning of March 1st. They spent a few hours dancing and had a few drinks before deciding to head home. Kim dropped Liz off at her house and then headed back to her apartment. The evening of March 1st, Tommy walked into the 69th precinct of the NYPD and reported his daughter missing. A desk officer took down his report and gave him the usual, we'll need to wait 24 hours speech. If the police ever tell you that they need to wait 24 hours before investigating a missing person, don't accept that. Now, an adult is legally allowed to be missing. If I wanted to just take off for a few days and lay on a beach in Costa Rica without telling my family, I wouldn't be breaking the law. But just because I'm allowed to do that doesn't mean my family should have to wait a full day before looking for me. One, because my wife knows it would be extremely unlikely for me to do that. And two, the sooner you start looking for a missing person, the better chance you have of finding them alive, if at all. The policy doesn't even make sense. A person doesn't need to have broken the law to be considered missing. Obviously, if the missing person is a child, elderly, or has some mental or physical disability, the police tend to move on it right away. But even if you're reporting a perfectly healthy adult, don't leave the police station until you talk to a detective and get them to start an investigation for the disappearance. This will most likely mean you will need to be a very squeaky wheel. This is exactly what Tommy did. He knew something was wrong with Kim. They spoke every day. She had a schedule and she never deviated from that schedule without letting him know. The desk officer finally gave in and found an available detective for Tommy to speak to. Detective Phil Tracola was finishing up some paperwork when Tommy was brought into his office. Tommy told the detective that his 20-year-old daughter was missing and immediately said he knew they wanted to wait, but he knew his daughter and she didn't just run off. She wouldn't have just shacked up with some guy or crashed on somebody's couch. He explained that they talked every day, and she's very responsible. Detective Tricola could tell that Tommy and Kim were very close, and he agreed that her disappearance seemed suspicious. So he started the process of opening a missing persons case. Tommy started at the beginning and told the detective everything he knew. At about 3 p.m. that day, his girlfriend had called him and asked if he knew where Kim was. Tommy was dating the office manager of Amelia Interiors, and she was concerned that Kim hadn't shown up for her 12.30 shift. She had spent hours trying to contact Kim before calling Tommy. 
Knowing that Kim wouldn't just bail on work without calling, Tommy was concerned and drove to her apartment. He actually got pulled over for speeding on his way there, but when he explained the situation, the patrol officer let him go with a warning. At Kim's apartment, Josh answered the door and let Tommy in. Tommy knew that he, April, and their son were staying with Kim, but they hadn't met each other yet. April was at work and Josh was at the apartment with their son when Tommy arrived. Josh told him that Kim called them yesterday evening to let them know she was going out and would be home late, but they hadn't heard from her since. When she hadn't arrived home the next morning, Josh got her address book out and started calling people to ask if they had seen her. He told Tommy that he had made 40 to 50 calls and everyone had called him back besides one person. It was a man that Kim had previously dated who went by the nickname Psycho. Tommy was absolutely horrified when he heard the guy's name. Josh told him that Psycho was a really bad guy who was obsessed with Kim and had been stalking her. Tommy had no idea that Kim was having issues with a violent man named Psycho who was stalking her, but as a fairly overprotective father, it's not surprising that she would keep this from him. Tommy would do anything to protect his daughter and she didn't want him to make a big deal out of it. She believed that Psycho would eventually give up on his quest to get her back. Tommy went across the street to see if Kim's car was in the garage, but it was locked. He knocked on the door of the owner he rented the garage from and asked her to check if Kim's car was inside. When she told him no, he knew something was wrong and went to the police station. Detective Tricola got as much information as he could from Tommy. He was able to call Liz, who told him about their night out, which seemed pretty unremarkable. She was able to tell the detective exactly what Kim was wearing and about the two tattoos she had. Kim had a scorpion on her thigh, which symbolized her birth sign, Scorpio. She also had an infinity symbol with a naked couple laying inside of it on her lower back. Tommy went back to Kim's apartment and took Josh out with him to look around for her car. Josh didn't have an entirely clean criminal record and he said he knew some spots where car thieves hid stolen cars and they checked those places but didn't find the Honda Accord. When they arrived back at Kim's apartment, it was filled with other friends who had heard of her disappearance and had rushed over to help in the search. One of those people was an ex-boyfriend of Kim's. Julio Negro, who went by Jay, was also good friends with Josh and April, who had actually introduced him to Kim. Tommy found a spare key for the garage and opened it up to investigate. He and Josh went inside, and when they turned on the light, they saw a gold earring on the floor. Josh picked it up, and Tommy said it looked like one of Kim's earrings. Liz confirmed that it was one of the earrings that Kim had worn out dancing the previous night. This told Tommy that Kim had made it to her garage and vanished before she could make it into her apartment. Tommy called Detective Tricola and told him what they had found. When the detective arrived on scene, Liz told him that she was 100% positive that Kim was wearing those earrings the night before. She also told him that Kim was scared of Psycho, who was now their prime suspect. 23-year-old Psycho's real name was Alexei Kovich, and he was born in Odessa, Russia. He immigrated to the U.S. with his parents as a child. He was a known member of a street gang in the Russian-populated area of Brighton Beach called Together Forever. Together Forever? I'm sorry, but that doesn't sound like a tough Russian street gang. It sounds more like the title of a hit pop song. Anyway, Together Forever were suspected of dealing drugs and running guns. Alexei had a long rap sheet, and just a month prior, he had been arrested for statutory rape of a 12-year-old girl. He was currently out on $5,000 bail. 
Detective Tracola and his partner, Detective Jimmy Tierney, sat outside of Psycho's apartment and waited to nab him when he came outside. They got their wish at about 1 p.m. on March 2nd. They placed him in the back of their car and asked him about Kim. He played dumb, pretending he didn't know a Kim. When the detective reminded him that he had dated her and he had a tattoo of her name on his calf, he claimed that he only saw her a few times, and he pulled up his pant leg to show them that the letters on the tattoo had periods after them. He said the letters stood for Kick at Mike, which was a tribute to his friend who had successfully kicked a drug habit. The story seemed far-fetched, but they did notice that Psycho seemed awfully calm and collected for a person who had just kidnapped someone. Detective Tricola's gut told him that Psycho wasn't involved, but he gave him his card and told the young man to call him the following day at noon. When Tommy found out that the detectives were doubting that Psycho was involved, Josh spoke up and said that he had a friend who had seen a car full of Russian guys driving through Kim's neighborhood on the night of her disappearance. When detectives interviewed the friend, he identified Psycho as one of the guys in the car. Detective Tricola knew he had to take another look at Psycho, but he wouldn't need to track him down. At noon that day, Psycho called the detective like he was instructed to do. It seemed so outside of what a guilty person would do if they had kidnapped and possibly killed a young woman. Detective Tricola picked Psycho up from his apartment and brought him to the station for questioning. Psycho answered questions and again gave the detective no feeling that he was involved. They eventually got Josh's friend to the station to ID Psycho, but he said it wasn't the guy he saw. The detectives had no other option but to let him go. At about 2 a.m. the next morning, a man in Jamaica, New York, located east of Brooklyn, smelled smoke and was afraid his home was on fire. When he searched his house for the source of the fire and didn't find anything, he went outside and scanned his neighborhood. When he saw a neighboring house that was currently unoccupied having smoke coming out the windows, he returned to his house and dialed 911. Even though the house was reported to be empty, it was protocol for firefighters to search the house for occupants immediately upon arriving on scene. They went through the house room by room looking for anyone who might be inside while also opening doors and windows to allow for ventilation. In the basement, firefighters found the source of smoke as a large fire was blazing in the cellar. They brought in a hose and put out the fire, and as the smoke cleared, they were faced with the sight of a young woman, tied to a chair, burnt from the waist up. Once Fire Lieutenant Fred Reich was able to remove his mask, he was hit with the strong smell of gasoline, and he knew this was no accident. As one firefighter rushed toward the body, assuming it was a victim who could be saved, the motion caused the charred wooden chair to break and the body fell to the floor. Fred told him to back away, as it was obvious that there was nothing they could do. Two detectives, Louis Pia and Tom Shelvin, were assigned to the case, and after checking out the scene, they went back to their precinct and contacted the missing persons department with the information they had about the victim. Her face was burnt beyond recognition, but she had two tattoos, a scorpion on her thigh, and an infinity symbol on the small of her back. They were told that that information matched the description of a missing person from Brooklyn, and they were put in touch with Detective Tricola. Phil Tricola heard exactly what he didn't want to hear. The woman who was burned was a match for Kim. They still had to run dental records, but they eventually confirmed what they already knew. The missing person's case was now a homicide. Christmas is the season of giving, but it can be difficult to know who on your list wants what. Save yourself the guesswork by giving the gift of choice. Whether you're buying for the foodie, fashionista, or homebird of the family, 
They'll love a Dunn Stores gift card. They can choose from everything we have in store and online, from fashion to homewares to groceries. It's the perfect choice to make this Christmas. Visit dunstores.com for details. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on. See CertaIreland.ie Detectives Pia and Shevlin talked to all of Kim's friends at the station. And while Josh was still pointing a finger at Psycho, Jay had come up with a new theory. He told the detectives that he believed that Tommy and his brother were connected to the mob. The Antonakis brothers ran a fire insurance business with an office two doors down from John Gotti's headquarters. People knew that you don't live or do business on that block unless you're part of Gotti's crew. Jay felt that this was possibly retaliation for something that Tommy did. Detectives took his suggestion, but after thinking about it, it made no sense. Mobsters didn't go after each other's children. If Tommy had wronged John Gotti in some way, they would have broken his legs. If he had done something real bad, he would have gotten a bullet to the brain and his body would be dumped on the street. They wouldn't kidnap his daughter, hold her for four days, and then set her on fire. Even pretending that that was something they would do, wouldn't they be trying to get money out of Tommy? Nobody had contacted the father with any demands. They asked Tommy about his connections to the mob and he was adamant that he had no involvement in organized crime. He told them they were welcome to investigate the claims, but to hurry up so they could get back to looking for the real killer. They even looked into the angle that Tommy was involved in a fire insurance scam through his company, but that didn't make sense either. Why would he torch a house with his daughter tied up inside? It was determined that Tommy was clean. At the medical examiner's office, Dr. Carrie Ryber had discovered some evidence under Kim's fingernails. They were a few metal zipper teeth that must have been ripped from the kidnapper's clothes during the struggle. While Dr. Ryber examined the young woman's hands, she gave the detectives some news they were hoping to not hear. She confirmed that Kim was still alive when she was set on fire. The red skin around blisters on her hand could only have happened while her heart was still pumping. When the doctor opened her throat, the tissue inside was scorched, which meant that Kim was breathing after the fire was set. She breathed in the fire, which seared and blackened her trachea. Although the fire didn't completely consume the body and the house, destroying all evidence like the killer had hoped, it still did a good job of eliminating some. Authorities didn't know exactly how she was tied up because the fire destroyed whatever they used. They had exhausted any possible suspects by questioning everyone who was ever involved in Kim's life. She had an unfortunate habit of dating men who were not the most reputable people, which made the list of possible suspects long. But no immediate evidence was found that any of her ex-boyfriends were involved in her kidnapping and death. On March 8th, a woman in Malvern, New York, a little further east of Brooklyn than Jamaica, called 911 to report a white Honda Accord that had been parked near their house for a week, and it matched the description of the car that the news reported the police were looking for. Coincidentally, Detective Phil Tricola lived in Malvern and drove past the car every day on his way to and from work. It was hidden behind some trees in a residential area out of sight from his normal route on the main road. 
Detectives Pia and Shelvin were notified that the car was recovered, and all the detectives arrived on the scene in hopes that there would be some clues as to who their killer was. The car had clearly been wiped down. You could see streaks in the dirt on the car where someone had clearly run a rag over specific places on the body of the vehicle. When they canvassed the neighborhood, a partial roll of duct tape was found in the yard of the house next to where the car was parked. It looked like someone had thrown it over the fence into the yard. They found one fingerprint inside the car and several hairs in the trunk. They also found Kim's other earring in the trunk, which made detectives certain that Kim was the victim of a botched kidnapping. If she was carjacked, the car would have been taken to a chop shop and stripped immediately. The hairs in the trunk would be examined and the print would be run, but even if it came back a match to someone, it would be likely that they belonged to someone who knew Kim and had a reason to be in her car. The detectives weren't hopeful that they would lead them anywhere. As they waited for those pieces of evidence to be examined, they moved on to phone records. While reviewing phone records, Detective Pia saw that 65 calls were placed from the phone in Kim's apartment on the day she had gone missing. Now, Josh had told authorities that he had gone through Kim's address book and called every number asking if anyone had seen her, so the long list of numbers made sense, except they should have all been in the afternoon. When the detective noticed that a call was made at 12.10 a.m., a time when Kim wouldn't have even gotten to the salsa club yet, he found that the number dialed was to Josh's own pager. April and Josh had told police that they had not gone out and were at Kim's apartment all evening. So why would someone page Josh from Kim's apartment if he was also there? Josh had also told police that no calls were made from Kim's apartment that night. I know it's only 1995, but still, how do you not know about phone records? When Detective Pia was finished painstakingly cross-referencing every call made from the phone in Kim's apartment that day, he found that only a few of Kim's friends had been called. Josh had told Tommy that the only person who hadn't responded to his call was Psycho, but the call log revealed that he hadn't even called Psycho by then. He had called a number of different women while he was home with his son and April was at work. After putting all of the call times together like one giant puzzle, the detectives realized that Josh had lied multiple times and that both of his alibis for the kidnapping and the fire were in question. When Kim was kidnapped, Josh said that he was at Kim's apartment with April, but either he slipped out while she was sleeping or he had given his pager to someone to use during the kidnapping. When Kim was killed, Josh and Jay claimed to be out looking for her car and they got back at 1 a.m., before Kim's estimated time of death. But based on a call from Kim's house at 2.48 that morning, the detectives believed that they were lying, and after confirming when Josh and Jay returned with some of their friends, they learned that both of them were out together at the time Kim was set on fire. Josh was now their number one suspect, and detectives knew he hadn't acted alone. The same day that Detective Pia was looking over the phone records, he got an anonymous call from someone who said that Josh, Jay, and someone named Jose, who went by Joey, were the ones who kidnapped and killed Kim. He said that she was kidnapped for money, but shit went bad and they panicked and had to kill her. He claimed to have heard them talking about it on the street. The detective tried to get him to meet somewhere, but he hung up. Detectives Pia and Shelvin brought Josh in for questioning under the pretense that they were just going to ask some follow-up questions. When they first started talking to Josh, they played dumb. They made it seem like they were stuck, too inept to figure out who these master criminals were, and asked Josh for his help. Josh told them that he thought she was kidnapped for money, but shit went bad and they panicked and had to kill her. 
Detective Pia recognized that Josh had just said the same thing the anonymous caller had said. They asked him to confirm that he was home all night, and he said yes. Then they asked him if he ever lent his pager to anyone, and he said no. They asked him again to make sure he hadn't lent it out, not to April, not to a friend, and Josh was adamant that he never lent his beeper to anyone. Then they pulled out the phone records and asked him why, if he was home, in bed with April, would someone be paging him from Kim's apartment. He had walked right into their trap. Josh played like he was remembering that he had gone out to get milk for his son. April must have paged him then. The detective asked him repeatedly if he was sure that that was the only time he had gone out. Josh said he was sure. Then why were you paged three different times that night? Detective Pia asked with a smile. Josh faked anger and asked if they thought he had something to do with Kim's death. She was his friend. He told them that, if he was involved, he would have fed her and let her go. The medical examiner had found that Kim's stomach was completely empty, estimating that she hadn't eaten for at least three days prior to her death. That detail was not released to anyone, so the only people who would know that Kim was starved would be the detectives, the medical examiner, and the killers. Josh had backed himself into a corner that was reserved specifically for someone who was involved in the kidnap and murder of Kim Anatakis. This was not a slam dunk, though, and the detectives knew they needed more, so instead of arresting Josh prematurely, they let him go, but they had a plan to trick Josh into revealing more information. The beginning of that plan involved the detectives bringing in April and showing her the phone records. April worked 12-hour days to pay for their apartment and to support their child, as well as her unemployed boyfriend who had a criminal record. They read off the names of five girls that Josh had called that day while she was at work. Upon hearing some of the names on the list, April was not happy. She left the station furious with Josh. The detective's plan to shake up Josh's comfortable life was successful as April promptly went home and kicked him out. Detectives Pia and Shelvin moved on to Jay next. They brought him into the station on the same pretense they had used for Josh. They had him run down his whereabouts for the days surrounding Kim's disappearance. He told them that he had spent the night at Kim's apartment the night before she went to the salsa club. They had broken up, and Kim was clear that she wasn't interested in a long-term relationship, but they would still hook up from time to time. When he woke up the morning of February 28th, Kim was already gone. Later that night, Josh had given him a ride to his sister's house where he stayed the night. He said he hadn't gone out and hadn't called anyone. They hadn't caught Jay in a bunch of lies like they had Josh, but they could tell he was struggling with the murder more. They showed him pictures of the crime scene and Jay was visibly shaken. They told him that they knew Joey was involved and could tell he was trying to hide his panic. They told him that the first person to talk would get the best deal, and Jay thought about it, but for now, he kept his mouth shut. A polygraph test is not admissible in court because it isn't reliable enough. The machine does measure your blood pressure and your skin's perspiration and galvanic response. Those things do commonly change when a person is lying, but they could also not. They could also change when someone is telling the truth. There is science behind how it works, and it does work successfully quite often, but it can only be used as a means of pointing investigators in a certain direction. They can have someone take a lie detector test as a means of clearing them as a suspect. But more often than not, it's used as a manipulative tool. Many times, the polygraph is administered, and the results aren't really relevant. Investigators don't care that the subject passed the test. 
They interrogate the suspect, telling them that they failed the test, even when they hadn't, in order to shake them up and confess. This method of interrogation has a track record of being commonly unsuccessful at revealing a true confession, but law enforcement is stubborn and they don't like change, so it continues to happen. In this case, the detectives did the opposite by telling Josh that he had passed the polygraph test when he had failed miserably. This plan was to give Josh confidence. Confidence in the mind of an idiot generally turns to feelings of invincibility, which leads to carelessness. The detectives were hoping that emboldening Josh would stir the group up and they would start turning on each other. I've split this episode into two parts because I've fallen behind on my work. I've been working on a new project which is in production and it's tentatively scheduled to launch March 1st. It's a whole new show and there should be an announcement and then a trailer posted in February. Based on that and a few technical issues I've been having with my recording equipment, I'm posting part one today, and part two will air on Thursday, 12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll see you then. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harm in yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on Like the Irish weather Predictably unpredictable When you're cutting it fine But the tractor in front is out for the day No winner of this week's You know what So much for Lucky 7 But some things you can depend on Like in home heating Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil Are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home Now and into the future For home heating you can depend on See CertaIreland.ie It's flu season, and children are twice as likely as adults to catch the flu, which can sometimes cause serious illness. That's why all children aged 2 to 17 can get their free nasal spray flu vaccine, a safe and effective way to protect them and the rest of your family too. So make an appointment with your GP or pharmacist. Visit hse.ie forward slash flu for more information from the HSC. Okay, so, presents. Check. Decorations. Uh, check. Christmas clothes. Yep, check. The turkey. You forgot the turkey. Dunn Stores has extended opening hours over the Christmas season, so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done. Opening times may vary. Check your Dunn Stores app or dunnstores.com for more info.
done stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.